You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? Do you taste what I taste? And today, do you feel what I feel? During the season of Advent, we are preparing for God, putting on flesh for God to have senses like we have senses, God to see our suffering, God to hear our cry, God to break bread with us. And today, the miracle of God putting on flesh and blood and diving into the sense of touch. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, beginning with the 25th verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, guided by the Spirit. Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Except for a closing prayer, there are three things that I mention at the conclusion of a wedding rehearsal. Everyone is here the night before, we go over the ceremony, and there's three things that I'm for sure going to mention before we adjourn. Number one, and they're simple, uh, uh, but they need to be said out loud. Number one, please eat tomorrow. Uh, weddings are a weird day. It's like an out-of-body experience, and it's crazy, lots of, lots of things happening please eat something. Because if you don't eat something that day, what's going to happen is you're going you're to pass out on your face in the sanctuary. The second rule is like it. Please drink enough water. Please drink enough water. You know, if you don't eat enough, you'll fall over and pass out. Likewise, if you drink too much that's not water, you too run the risk of falling on your face. And, and, and for whatever reason, it's, it's the groomsmen. You know, you just have to kind of sit down with them and say, hey, we're preparing for worship. We're not tailgating at the Independence Bowl, right? So please eat enough and drink enough water for the day. The third might sound silly, but it has to be said. The third is paying attention to touch and the way that you are presenting yourself in front of everyone. If you don't get this right, the congregation might not know exactly what's going on, but it will feel off and it will be disconcerting and something just isn't quite right. I tell this to couples, as soon as couples are joined together at the beginning of the service, until the service has concluded, they never stop touching each other hand in hand, arm in arm, side by side, hand on the small of the back. 
If they do separate, it is obvious and it is noticeable. You're getting married. Never stop holding one another throughout the service. And the same is true for the attendance. Now, if you're holding a bouquet, that's easy. You're like a sentinel at the guard, right? You're a sentinel at the gate. You're kind of, uh, but again, here's the groomsmen. Uh, you, have to, you have to coach them on how to present themselves in front of everyone. Because you can't do the butler, right? Because we're not taping an episode of Downton Abbey, right? You can't do the penalty kick because this is not the World Cup. You know, you can't put your hands in your pockets because it looks like you would like to be anywhere other than here, right? It is hands to your side, relaxed. It is, it looks the most natural and it is the most uncomfortable way to hold your hands. And it's because we're so used to doing so many things with our hands. Our hands are never quiet. They are never still. We are always doing something with our hands. Our hands are very busy as a people and as a culture. So here, here's a question. Here's a question. I love for you, and I'm, you're not going to raise a hand or anything, I want you, just for a moment, to do this kind of personal poll. What occupies your hands most of the week? Just for a moment, consider. And one way to, to, to recognize this is, what, what is it that you touch most of the week? Is it, is it the plastic of a keyboard? Is it the glass of a phone? Is it the steering wheel of your car because you're driving people every day for hours? I'm assuming, unless you are in the medical field or some kind of service uh, industry, I'm assuming that human touch is not in your top five. There's a researcher from the University of Miami School of Music. Her name is Tiffany Field. And uh, she had a revelation. In 2017, uh, she went and she was just taking a trip uh, in the airport. And she noticed that no one at her terminal was touching anyone. Even those who are obviously there as a couple. Everyone was either on a phone or reading a book or meandering about. And she thought, how curious that no one was holding hands. No one had an arm over another. No one was kissing. There was no touch. So she studied it. <laughs> and there was a, a paper presented and she discovered those who uh, are connected with appropriate human, holy, healthy touch. Uh, their blood pressure was lower. There was less anxiety, longer life expectancy, uh, less depression, less cases of depression. She was studied in an orphanage in Romania, interestingly enough, and she found that children who were not presented with healthy human touch, their growth had been stunted. We are hot-wired to be in community with each other. Isolation can be deadly. It's the first thing that God, God created, everything seen and unseen, and God says, it is good. He created light. It is good. The, the, the oceans, it is good. The sun and the stars and the moon, it is good. The first thing that God says is not good is when the man was alone. It is not good that man is alone. We are hardwired for healthy, appropriate touch. New York Times article, his name's uh, Tim Reiner, and he is the one who mentioned Tiffany Field's study. <clears throat> he wrote an article of the importance of touch, specifically in families, and specifically sons and fathers. This is what he wrote. 
I had thought about reaching for my father's hand for weeks. He was slowly dying in a nursing home, and no one who visited him, from my mother, his wife of 42 years, to my three siblings, ever held his hand. How do you reach for something that, for so many decades, hinted at violence and worse, dismissal? In the flickering gray from the old black and white movies we watched together, I finally did it. I touched my father's hand, which I hadn't held since I was a young boy. His curled fingers opened, unhinging some long, sealed door within me, then lightly closed around mine. Before I left, I did something that none of the men in my family had ever done before. I leaned in close to my father's ear and I whispered, I love you. Do you see what I see? We can survive without sight. Do you hear what I hear? We can survive without hearing. Do you taste what I taste? COVID taught us that we can survive without tasting our food. We cannot survive without touch. We cannot navigate the world around us without touch. Touch keeps us safe on the one hand. And my mother, uh, I, mentioned this, I mentioned this yesterday, my mother has these one-liners that just kind of stay and uh, uh, eventually we're all going to gather and going to read all of her one-liners. I don't think, she grew up in Moss Point, Mississippi, and I don't think you can graduate high school without coming up with lots of one-liners to eventually share with your children. Last week with the chicken jerky incident, you remember that I, I nearly met my maker after eating a pound of raw chicken uh, in college. Um, and my mother so compassionately over the phone said, that's just natural selection trying to take you out, son. Touch keeps us safe. I remember as a kid, my mom was uh, in the kitchen cooking uh, and she could tell just by the look on my face that I really wanted to touch the stove. You know, of course she said, don't touch the stove, it's hot. So what did I do? Yeah, I touched the stove. I touched the stove and ah, and I said a word, I just, I said, ouch. I said, ouch, as I drew my hand back. And my mother, here's her one-liner. She goes, well, it didn't take you long to look at that, now did it? Touch can keep us safe. Knowing how our bodies work, knowing the space in which our bodies um, uh, uh, hold uh, is really important. I want to show you a series of pictures. Uh, I think, Wynn, you're going to like this. I think, Michelle, you're going to dig this too. Um, Robert tested in karate this week to upgrade his belt. Um, so this is the first picture. I want to hang on this for just a second. Friends, this is not my son. He is sitting still in a meditative pose, like a lotus pose, laser-beamed focus as to what's going on. He was watching the other kids break a board. Like, that's the big thing. Like, when you break a board, you get the new belt. And boy, he was sitting there, laser-beamed, focused, calm, cool, meditative, ready to go. And then he broke the board, and then this, went, this is what happened. Grinning from ear to ear, holding the pieces of the board, proud of his accomplishment. I don't know if there's a Christmas present I could have given him in the time that would have superseded that feeling of accomplishment, 
of what he had done with his own body, what he had learned to do, how to occupy his space. And then he saw that my phone was out, so he gave me this, uh, holding his new holding his new belt, ready to go. That's the one that makes it on the Instagram, uh, right? So uh, there's Robert. Um, touch keeps us safe. It helps us occupy the space. It helps us to recognize what we are to do and what we are not to do with our bodies. Touch also helps us communicate. Not only if you're a preacher and you think that your hands are somehow connected to your jaw, but like uh, Deputy Guerrero at Stockwell Place, uh, who directs traffic every, uh, every day. And thank God for Deputy Guerrero, because you go to airline, it's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's what's happening in their parking lot. And thank, thank God at Stockwell Place, there's... Oh. oh, did I say Stockwell? Everyone's a critic. Yes, let me correct, let me correct myself in front of the internet and everybody. Deputy Guerrero, who I for a long time called Officer Gonzalez, <laughs> Deputy Guerrero is at Cope Middle School. Yes, is that correct? Um, no, don't apologize. If there are any other corrections, Isabel, please submit them in writing. <laughs> so I can review them. That's great. Yes, Officer, Officer, no, no. Deputy Guerrero at Cope Middle School. The point is, touch helps us communicate with one another, sometimes poorly and sometimes falsely. Um, now I have to find my place again. Um, ah, that paragraph's dumb. I'm going to move on. <laughs> I'll put that online. The rest of that paragraph's fine. You can read it later. During Advent, during Advent, we prepare ourselves for the incarnation. God putting on flesh. God has, throughout Scripture, God has had eyes to see. God looked at creation and saw that it was good. God has ears to hear our lament. I've heard my people's cry in Egypt. Right? God is the God who offers manna in the wilderness. But the incarnation, for the first time, God will have flesh and blood. God will have a body. God will know what it, what it means to have to eat and drink to stay alive. God will know what it means to be full and to be empty. God knows what it will mean to have the pleasure of that first morning stretch and also, as a kid, to skin his knee. This fully divine, fully human Jesus certainly had growing pains and experienced the confusion of puberty and headaches from dehydration and the joy of a friend's embrace. Luke 7 records this. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him, and he approached the gate of the town, and a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward, touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, 
rise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. Interestingly, the crowd that was there, their first reaction was not celebration or elation. Rather, it was a shocked stillness, which then gave birth to fear. Why? Jesus, this holy man, this rabbi, this Lord, touched the funeral beer, and that made him unclean. Not only was Jesus now unclean in the middle of a large crowd, he was still able to heal the man and raise him from the dead. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Godly people are clean people. Right? It seems that Jesus pushes against this notion time and time and time again. Here's later in the chapter of the same chapter of Luke One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50, When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them loved him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said, yeah, you've judged rightly. Then, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head. Do you hear how physical all of this is? How physical hospitality is? Hospitality cannot happen in a vacuum. It is a physical, interpersonal, uh, uh, poignant hospitality. It is intimate and it is important. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Similarly, in the very next chapter in Luke's gospel, there's a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she touched the hem of his garment as Jesus was in a great crowd of people. So Jesus stops, and he says, who touched me? 
And then Peter, bless his heart, Peter says, what do you mean? Who touched you? Don't you see the crowd that's around you? There's hundreds of people around here. What do you mean? Who touched you? Then we have this, but Jesus said, someone touched me for I noticed that power had come from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people, she declared in the presence of all of the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In both stories, someone reached out to Jesus. In both stories, Jesus was made unclean according to the law. In both stories, healing still happened. In both stories, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Faith in what? Exactly. Now, I've heard it preached before that if you're faithful enough and if you believe in Jesus enough, then things like illness, poverty, failures won't happen. Conversely, we have this idea that if you have money in the bank and you have great health and your children are attractive and make good grades, that your faith is where it needs to be and therefore you are blessed. And these are signs of favor. But you, know, you and I both know that this is a lie. And the people who tell this lie are the people who want you to believe that they have everything together. It's an Instagram life. It's not real. Your faith has made you well. Faith in what? They had faith that Jesus would not turn them away. They had faith that Jesus would not shun them or send them out. Faith that Jesus would offer divine compassion. Faith that what they had been told about themselves by society was not true. Faith that God in the flesh was the source of their restoration. The moment of acceptance from Christ was the beginning of their journey of healing. flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace even when my body fails, I will live a life of joy and peace. Sometimes hymns don't need any correcting at all. <laughs> In Luke's gospel, there seems to be this current of good, healthy touch that have profound bookends in the story. At the beginning of Jesus' story, Simeon takes Jesus into his arms, into a full embrace as a child. And this certainly wasn't the only time that Jesus was held as an infant. Last week we talked about Mary offering her body as nourishment to Jesus. But even in the story, if we read the gospel story, even in the narrative it says that after he was born, he was wrapped in bands of cloth and placed in a manger. The shepherds found him in the manger, not in Mary's arms. So Luke, Luke is up to something here. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Master, now you're dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light 
for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Scripture says that Simeon was righteous and devout and was awaiting the kingdom of God. His embrace of Jesus announced that salvation was for all, full of revelation and glory. What is that salvation? What is that revelation? What is that glory? This is the first time in Scripture where Jesus' full self was embraced by humanity. And it happened only one other time. And you have to flip to the end of the story. Listen to the parallels. Now, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council had not agreed to their plan and action, he came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he, not a group, not the bereavement team, he took Jesus' body down, wrapped it in bands of cloth, and laid it in a, laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid before. There were only two times that Jesus' full person was embraced. And through Luke's gospel, we see that through touch, the sense that we cannot live without, we see the revelation and glory that God will stop at nothing to bring us in. As messy and as screwed up as we are, God seeks us. God wants to bring us into a full embrace, healing, wholeness, community, and communion. Touch protects. Touch communicates. Touch soothes and heals. And yes, touch is complicated. Touch is so powerful that when it's used inappropriately, it can take a lifetime to repair the damage. I think the best way to think about the miracle of good, healthy touch uh, is a song by Mindy Smith. Uh, and it, it reminded me of the story that Tim Reiner wrote in the New York Times article of, the, of holding the hand of his father as his father was passing away. Mindy Smith's song, it's called One Moment More, and it's a song that she wrote when her mother was dying. And when you hear it, Catherine's going to sing it in just a moment. When you hear it, Pay attention to the words. Maybe this is something that you might sing to a parent. This might be something that you might sing to a friend or a loved one. I'm also not unconvinced that this isn't a lament to Jesus. Hoping that she will, that her faith will be healed. Hoping that not even death can separate her from her mother. And that through resurrection, her mother will never be far from her. I'm going to read the words to you so that in the moment of the singing, you can just be in the moment. Hear the words. Hold me. Even though I know you're leaving, and show me all the reasons you would stay. It's just enough to feel your breath on mine, to warm my soul and ease my mind. You've got to hold me and show me now. 
Give me just one part of you to cling to and keep me everywhere you are. It's just enough to steal my heart and run and fade out with the falling sun. Please don't go. Let me have you just one moment more. All I need, all I want is just one moment more. You've got to hold me and keep me now. Tell me how someday you'll be returning and maybe, maybe I'll believe. It's just enough to see a shooting star to know you're never really far. Please don't go. Let me have you one moment more. All I need is 